Great. Okay, Ephesians 5, verse 18. My name is Steph. If, you're, if you don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here, and um, I'll be preaching today. I want to just, before we get into the passage today, I want to do something which is a bit of a, how can I put it? Um, half-truths are the most dangerous kind of lies because they're really believable. <laughs> Blatant lies rarely get a following, but half-truths, half-truths do often. Now, anyone ever heard anyone say, like, say something like this? Um, Christianity's got nothing to do with do's and don'ts. Anyone ever heard that? It's a half-truth. <laughs> I'll show you what I mean in a moment, right? So it, it, it's a half-truth in the sense that it tells a really important part of the story, which if you don't get it, you're going to go wrong the whole way. Here's the way in which it's true. The way in which it's true is that there is no way that any of us can atone for our sin. What we mean by that is, is the things that we've done wrong. There's no way that any of us, by our own effort, could ever possibly get forgiven by God and made right with God. Um, it's just impossible. It's beyond our reach. Um, the better we did at it, the more we'd fall into pride, the greater the debt would become. We are, we are helpless in that sense. And that's why we rejoice and sing and clap and dance um, every week and throughout the week about the gospel. Because the message is God has done it for us. And, and as soon as you begin to try to add to what Jesus has done, you're essentially saying that what Jesus has done wasn't enough. So you're, 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 you're taken away from the work of Christ, which is perhaps the biggest sin you could ever commit. Because the Son of God laid down his life so that we could be forgiven and rescued. So there's nothing you can add to that in any way. And so in that sense, absolutely, there's, the Christian life is not about do's and don'ts. And yet there's no getting away from the fact that over the last few weeks, in chapter 5 of Ephesians, we've, we've, we've read things like this. We've read that, that you know, Paul says, don't. Um, be into sexual immorality, impurity and covetousness. Don't, don't let there be filthy, uh, foolish talk or crude jokes, but instead do let there be thanksgiving. He says things like that. He says, um, later when he says, he says, don't be into dark things. You, that's what you were into. Jesus rescued you. Do be, do be into walking in the light. Um, he says, um, don't, uh, he says, do look carefully how you live. Don't live unwisely. Do live wisely. Um, do make the best use of the time. Don't be foolish. Do understand what the will of the Lord is. Actually, the Bible's full of do's and don'ts. So we've got to, we've got to learn how to walk this tightrope whereby we realise, okay, what's happened is, is that God has come to us as we were totally helpless and he's made us brand new. And in making us brand new, he's given us a new heart with a new motivation, which means that we want to do things now we didn't want to do before. And we don't want to do things now we did want to do before. Something's changed that are right at our centre. It's the miracle of being born again. And so when it talks about do's and don'ts, it's not saying so much, do do that and don't do that. And if you do do it enough and don't do that enough, then you might make it right with God. It's not saying that at all. It's saying God has made himself right with you through Jesus. If you will, if you will trust in Christ, you'll be reconciled to God. And he'll give you a brand new heart. And he'll give you his Holy Spirit. And now here's what it looks like to walk with God. There's some things that you're really going to want to avoid. Because God won't go near them. And if you want to walk closely with God, you can't be walking like that. There's some other things you're going to want to pursue. And your new heart will want to pursue it because it's God's heart. And so it's a strong, strong message. But it's not about trying to get right with God. God has done it in Jesus. 
It's about learning how to walk closely in close fellowship, in close relationship with God. And here's the thing I guess I'm trying to challenge today. And it's this idea that in Christ, God requires nothing of us. Well, because of the cross, yeah. But on the other hand, actually, he requires everything of us. In what sense? In the sense that he loves us. And there's something about love that is very, very releasing to the object that it loves, but at the same time is so strong in its desire that it wants closeness more than anything. And the Bible says that the spirit God has caused to live inside of us jealously desires us. Do you know you are jealously desired by God? You are jealously desired by him. It's not an unhealthy kind of envy. Envy is when something good happens to someone and you don't want them to have that. Jealousy is just pure Desire for that person. God desires you. This is forceful stuff. This is powerful stuff. He doesn't, he's, not, he's not happy to know us at a distance. He wants to know us closely. And that's really what this passage is about. And that's where we're going to go today. And so we, let's read uh, chapter 5, verses 18, 19, 20, and 21. He's, he's been doing all these do's and don'ts about walking closely with God. Don't get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, or that is that leads to excess. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Father, I pray that you'd really help me by your Spirit to communicate this in a way that pleases you. And represents you accurately. Amen. Amen. Okay, now it can appear a bit out of the blue. All of a sudden, don't get drunk. Don't get drunk on wine. Actually, it's quite an important bridge. He's been talking about darkness and light, and he, so darkness, so drunkenness is part of the dark, the darkness. We'll look at why in a moment, but it's part of the darkness, so it links with that. But then it also is a bridge between this idea of being filled with the Spirit. Because if you've been around the Bible for a while, you may remember, in another book in the Bible, when the disciples first get filled with the Holy Spirit, there are people who are looking on, and some of them are amazed. Others mock and begin to say, I think they're drunk. And so when Paul was writing this, I have no doubt in his mind that he is aware of this, this that happened. And actually, when, when Peter, who was one of those disciples who was filled with the Spirit, stood up to preach his sermon to the crowd of onlookers, he had to say, listen, guys, we're not drunk. It's only nine in the morning. Okay? So there was obviously quite a, quite a group that was saying, these guys are out of their heads. What have they been on? And he has to actually say as part of his sermon, we're not drunk. So that gives you a clue straight away that, that actually there are times when being filled with the Spirit does lead to a, a, a kind of liberty, a freedom that is often only seen when drunk. Similar, but not the same. We'll look at that in a moment. <laughs> but it's a bridge between old stuff, old way of living and being filled with the Spirit, this idea of drunkenness. So let's look at drunkenness. We don't talk about it loads as a church, but it's, it's, you know, I think I get the impression that some people that have been brought up in church is kind of the thing that's preached against every, every week. Um, and we've probably gone the other way. So I'll just say a few things about it. Why isn't drunkenness fitting? Well, here's a quote by a, an old preacher. He's, he's with the Lord now, um, but he's been really helpful as I've prepared this sermon, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. This is his description of drunkenness. He says, what alcohol does is this. It knocks out those higher centers. And so the more primitive elements in the brain come up and take control. And a man feels better temporarily. He has lost his sense of fear 
and he has lost his discrimination. He has lost his power to assess. Alcohol merely knocks out his higher centers and releases the more instinctive primal elements. But the man believes that he's being stimulated. What is really true of him is that he has become more of an animal. His control of himself is diminished. So alcohol as a drug is not a stimulant, it's a depressant. Different drugs do different things. Alcohol is a depressant by its nature. Um, and this word, Paul says, it leads to debauchery. The word there is, it means excess. It, it leads to a kind of living that is excessive. Um, it leads to too much of everything. So when you're drunk, you say too much. And the next day you think, oh, I can't believe I said that. When you're drunk, you spend too much. You go out with a big wad of money in your pocket often and you come back the next day and there's nothing in there, a bit of shrapnel. And you think, how did that happen? When you're drunk, you lose. You just lose too much. (laughs) Uh, You either make ridiculous bets on things or you, you invest in something in a moment of madness and you think you wake up with a sense of loss. You expend too much. You, you share too much. You, you get loose-lipped when you're drunk. The, the, the things that, you've, that, you can, that are confident information, conf, confidential information, you begin to talk about it. You indulge too much in, in every other kind of thing. Once you're, once you're drunk, it's really hard to say no to all other kinds of things that are on offer. Much harder. The defences are down. Um, it's just too much, too much, too much. But the result is, interestingly, is this, is that we end up becoming less than what we are. You end up expended, you end up exhausted, you end up wasted, you end up diminished. That's what alcohol does. When you, when you, the Bible never says you shouldn't drink alcohol, but it, it's really strong on drunkenness. And it says it diminishes you as a person. It decreases you. You become less of what you are. If any of you have ever had friends or acquaintances that have been really into drink, you can see it in very, very extreme, extreme ways. But it happens on, a, on, on smaller levels also. This is what excess alcohol does. Conversely, the Holy Spirit stimulates every part of you. The Holy Spirit is the ultimate stimulant. The Holy Spirit stimulates your heart so you can feel affections in a way you never felt them before. You can, you can really learn about love and joy in ways you never knew before. You know, people, grow, people often grow hard in life. When the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you and you let him have his way, you can learn how to cry again. You can learn how to desire in a pure way again. He stimulates the mind in an incredible way. The Holy Spirit really does. If you, if, if you were to read your history, Christian history, you often find that a direct result of God moving in power and lots of people becoming converted to, to Christ, a direct result very often is that is society just, got, just changes, just goes... It, if you follow it over the next 10, 20, 30 years, you think, well, what are these changes here? Often what's happened is, is that the minds of people converted have been stimulated and they, they, they just reach higher. You just want to reach for higher things. It's, uh, it's just something that happens. It doesn't mean you become a genius, you become a Christian. But those faculties that God has given you, they come alive in a new way. and um, you just, it's, it's a very exciting thing. The Holy Spirit really does, really does bring this kind of transformation through life in the spirit we we also we we grow we are added to we develop we mature we go from strength to strength so the opposite of drunkenness where you're diminished you're added to 
as a person and, and, and you bring added value through the fact that the spirit of God is living in you and the things that are on the mind and the heart of God are beginning to matter to you and so the way you live is affected. This is life in the spirit. This is great. Uh, so, so, what, so the similarity between being drunk and being um, uh, full of the spirit is that you are under the influence one way or the other. Okay, it's probably a helpful phrase to use as we think about what it means to be full of the spirit. You're either under the influence of too much wine, too much beer, or you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Um, And there's similarities in terms of a perceived freedom. Um, You know, (laughs) you know, if you go out for a meal with a group of people that perhaps don't know each other that well or there's a, you know, but then once the once a couple of glasses of wine have been drunk by everyone around the table. The conversation starts to flow a bit. What is going on here? The inhibitions, the fears, um, the, 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 some of the more perceptive elements are, like you said, are being knocked out and um, different things are kicking in. But looking on, you can think, that looks like fun. I want to be part of that. I want to be part of that meal. Because there's a sense of freedom, laughter, joy, and all that kind of stuff. The Holy Spirit ought to bring that to a congregation of people. But without all the other stuff, without all the excess, without all the being diminished, without the saying the crazy things you didn't want to say, without the regret, without waking up in the morning feeling awful. Praise God. Praise God. So we've got to be bold and we've got to be strong and confident in the Holy Spirit and the kind of changes he wants to bring to our lives. So Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. Now, what does that look like? Right? Because you're probably thinking, this sounds great. I want to be filled with the Spirit. What does it look like? Well, it's fascinating. I want to just give you four categories of what this, um, what, of encounters with the Holy Spirit that people in the Bible have. And then I want to try and tell you what I think Paul is talking about here out of those four. Is that okay? Number one, we get this idea that Paul uses the word being sealed with the Holy Spirit. Um, John talks about being born of the Spirit. What is going on here is that there is, when you come to know Jesus for the very first time, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you and makes you a brand new person. I mentioned it five minutes ago. Okay, so when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells you. Isn't that amazing? You are sealed with him. Dan did a great sermon on that a few weeks back. Basically, God is saying, you are mine now. And the fact that my own spirit lives in you should assure you of that. I'm not going to forsake you in the same way I'm not going to forsake myself. Wow. You're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. This sealing, this, this being born again. The second category I would describe as being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, some Christians say that sealing and being born in the Spirit is the same as being baptized in the Spirit. We're not going to throttle each other about it, okay? It's no drama as long as both things happen, all right? But I, but I personally believe that the Bible is talking about something separate that happens and it's to do with empowering. It's when you read about it a lot in the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit comes on people and they are enabled to speak with great boldness and either prophesy or talk about the Lord Jesus with great liberty and great boldness. There's a power that is given to represent him. This is a very wonderful thing and it's, it's the inheritance of every believer. If you're stuck in the shadows of fear and timidity and you think there's no way out, let me tell you there is. God will baptize you with his Holy Spirit. He will clothe you with his presence so that you are clothed with power and able to live out who you truly are. That you do not have to live hidden away, pretending that you're something that you're not with different people, but that you're able to live freely and boldly out of who you are now in Jesus. The Holy Spirit will empower you for that by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's, that is your inheritance in Christ, second category. Now, the next two, concentrate. Because they're both called being filled with the Spirit. But they're slightly different things, I think. Let me show you what I mean. 
So I'm going to give you a couple of examples. So, you with me? Because you've got to follow me on this. Do some thinking, some praying, some urgent voicemails to Dan on this, all right, to just get, get my head clear on this. So, follow me. Some theology we're going to look at here. If you look at the book of Acts in particular, which is the book of the early church and what went on, what you will find is that there were people who were born of the Spirit, baptized in the Spirit, what I've just spoken about, but were then filled with the Spirit. After that, they had other encounters with God, powerful, surprising encounters, whereby they were either in a moment of great challenge or great difficulty, and the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they were empowered to be able to do, to be able to speak in a certain way that was very bold, or to be able to um, give a defense of something. But actually, there's, there's, a, there's a moment in God that's come. So they've already been sealed with the Spirit. They've been baptized in the Spirit, but actually, through the challenges of life, the Spirit of God comes on them and fills them freshly to be able to serve God. So you find it, for example, in Acts chapter 4. The same people that were baptized in Acts chapter 2, they're then told, you've got to stop speaking about Jesus or we're going to really bring some serious harm to you. They then gather together and pray and say, Lord, give us boldness to speak and stretch out your hand and do signs and wonders. And then we're told the building was shaken and they were all filled with the Spirit and spoke boldly. So they've already been baptized in the Spirit, but here they are filled again. We read about the Apostle Paul, who in chapter 9, he's converted, he's, he's baptized with the Spirit. But then in chapter 13, he's in a very challenging situation where he's sharing the gospel, but being opposed by an occult practitioner. And we're told that Paul, filled with the Spirit, then speaks some very bold words to him. So we see that part of the Christian life, part of our inheritance is that when we are cornered, when we are faced with significant challenges, God in his grace and mercy will fill us freely again with his spirit so that we can in that moment have power for that moment. Does that make sense? Um, so Jesus said something similar. He said, listen, he said, part of following me means at times you're going to get arrested. You're gonna, people, are, people are going to persecute you. And don't worry what, you need, what you're going to say in that moment when people take you to court and things because um, the Holy Spirit will give you the words. That, that's what we're talking about there, being filled with the spirit. It's an experience, a powerful moment in God. Category number four is being full of the Spirit. Now, in what sense? Well, we read about certain individuals. So I'll just give you a couple of examples here. So, for example, in Acts chapter six, they need to choose some people to be deacons in the church, pretty much. And and, and so the leaders go to the church and they say to the church, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom. See that? They're not talking about people who are having some powerful experience. They're saying godly men. They're full of the Spirit. They live full of the Spirit. They're not necess- it's not talking about building shaking. We're not talking about big moments. We're saying, look, choose some men that are full of the Spirit. That, that, that because, because they live full of the Spirit, they've got godly characteristics. They're, they're men of love. They're men of joy. They're men of peace. They're men of patience and kindness. They're men of goodness and gentleness. They're men of faithfulness. They're men who have got self-control. They're full of the Spirit. I'll show you another instance just so you see what I'm saying. So there's a church gets planted in a place called Antioch. And we are told that, um, we're told that um, a man called Barnabas came to, see what, came to find out what had happened. He says, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. You see that? 
It's talking about something continuous about the man. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. It's how you could describe him. It's how we lived. What does Paul mean here when he says, don't be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit? Is he talking about category three or category four? I believe he's talking about category four. And my main, my main reason for thinking why, because the grammar in the Greek can work either way. It can mean keep going on. It mean, it, the tense is present continuous. It can mean keep going on. So keep having powerful encounters throughout life, category three. Or it can mean present continuous, I'm full of the spirit. Yeah? See the difference? Okay. I think category four, why, here's why, essentially in a nutshell, Paul is commanding them to do it. I don't think you can command someone to have an, a powerful encounter with God. I don't think you can do that. I don't think you can say, come on, get the building shaking. You can't do that. All of, all of us are open to that and we, we, we want God to fill us in these powerful ways whenever, whenever we need it. Absolutely. But Paul here is saying, be filled with the Spirit. There's something for me to do here. Listen to what Lloyd-Jones says. He says, as a man decides and controls whether he's going to be filled with wine or not, so it is he himself who controls and decides whether he's going to be controlled by the Spirit or not. He's therefore given a commandment, an injunction, an exhortation. We must therefore cease to think of it in terms of having an experience. Not that they're wrong, they're great, but they're really in God's sovereign hands. But there's something that we can do, which is be filled with the Spirit. So how? Well, negatively, there's certain things you don't do because he's a person. And if I want to be under his influence, then there's certain things I don't do. Number one, I don't grieve him. The Bible says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. You see, there's things I can do that can grieve his heart. I can start getting into stuff or neglecting certain things that grieve his heart. Or I can quench him, which is that word quench. It's like putting out fire. He's a, the Spirit lives in us like a fire. I can put that out. I can quench him. Because I might feel a bit odd or people might think I'm a bit strange or I'm a bit too zealous. So I'll put it out. I'm quenching the Spirit. And when we grieve and quench him, something happens in our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Something happens. He withholds himself. He, 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 there's, a, there's something that happens whereby that's not the kind of heart situation that the Holy Spirit can fully engage with. This is a relationship. This is a relationship with a person. Because of the wine image, we can maybe think of the Holy Spirit as a liquid. No, it's a person. Okay? It's a real relationship. And he draws us into this kind of relationship. So we mustn't grieve him. We mustn't quench him. We mustn't do that. We must, in that sense, if we're more concerned of what others think, this will often make us grieve and quench the spirit. This is my experience. In my experience, the times when I grieve and quench the spirit is when I'm concerned what others think. They might think I'm a bit too zealous. Or they might think I'm being a bit over the top here. And as a result, in order to appease and not have too many eyebrows raised at me, I'll tone things down. And then I think, something's, something's happened. See, now you may be motivated differently for me. There are different things you'll struggle with. I'm just giving an illustration. That's how it happens with me. So we don't grieve or quench him. That's negatively, but positively, what do we do to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit? Well, firstly, we remember and be really aware of the fact he lives in me. He lives in me. He dwells. If you're a believer, he dwells in you right now. That's extraordinary. 
And so to give thought to that, to meditate and ponder on that, and to remind myself of that, and to welcome him daily, that is, that is, that is the bread and butter of the Christian life. I mean, this is extraordinary. This, isn't, this is not, I mean, follow some rules. This is walk with God. <laughs> that is a, an enormous privilege. That is holy ground. So I'm, aware, I'm to be aware of him. And then I'm to desire him and welcome him. I'm not to fear him in that wrong sense. I'm not to fear him in that way that makes me withdraw. I'm to desire and long for him. Why? It's a relationship. People are sensitive. People know when you don't really want them around. How much more the Holy Spirit? How much more the Holy Spirit? Heed his promptings. Just to heed his nudges and his promptings. You you honour the Spirit in doing that. And what you're doing is you are putting yourself under the influence of the Holy Spirit. You're being filled with the Spirit. You're becoming someone influenced. Under the, what is it with that person? Yeah, you know, you're full of him. You know that. You know when you meet someone and they're full of it. They're full of something. Yeah, they've just got a new hobby or they've just got a new this or something's happened and they're full of it. They're full of it. They can't stop talking about it. That's the idea. You're just full of it. You're full of him. You're full of him. It's natural. It's not forced. It's not you're trying to show how spiritual you are. No, no, no. It's just you're full of him. He comes out. If we can't be full of the Spirit like that together, well, it's crazy. It's crazy. Why are we all together in the same room anyway? It's him, isn't it? Isn't it? It's him. None of you would be sat here listening to me if it wasn't for him. It's him. It's him. Listen to Lord Jones again. You do not receive this as an experience. I almost said, would to God that we could. How much easier it would be. But this is God's way. It is a question of personal relationship. And as Christians, we are responsible creatures. He's not going to do it all for us while we just remain in passivity. It's not all done marvellously for us and there's no more struggle. There is a struggle. The world, the flesh and the devil are still there and we have to resist them. And we also have to listen to him positively and give time and attention to doing so. So you think, oh, okay, right. Okay, so practically now from the passage, how can we be filled with the spirit? Well, specifically, Paul gives us three things and they may be surprised. I'm going to do them in reverse order. Because the first one here is singing, I'm going to do the last one as singing, because then we can apply it straight away. Okay? So, first one is submission. Submission. We will look at these over the next few weeks. It talks about submission in marriage, submission parents and children, submission slaves and masters. So, obviously, we're going to have some interesting conversations over the next few weeks as we talk about these things. But there is this matter of submission that, that as I submit to the authority structures that God has put in place, I put myself under the influence of the Holy Spirit. If I cannot, if I cannot submit to authority, whether that's in the workplace or appropriately in the home or whatever relationship, if I can't do that, then really I can't say with hand on heart I'm submitting to God's authority because all authority has been put in place by God. Now, that's different from, we don't have to get into the crazy details of, oh, so what if someone tells you to do something crazy? We're not talking about that, but it's this general heart attitude of, I'm not going to walk around with that kind of, I submit to no one thing. That's not a godly spirit. You are not under the influence of the Holy Spirit. You are not full of the Spirit if that's how you live. You're not. So, I'll... More details on that over the next few weeks because we've got some weeks, because Paul spends time unpacking particularly the area of submission. So we will, we, will look, we will look at that. So just look at two now, then we're done. We're doing okay for time. First is giving thanks. Now, giving thanks is more than just making myself say the words thank you. 
Sometimes it's good to just do that, to just sort of get yourself in line. You know, just I'm going to just give thanks even though I don't feel like it. But actually it's about cultivating a grateful heart. He says, give thanks to God for everything. You know, it's like, wow, you know, it's quite an expansive idea here. Cultivating a thankful heart keeps me from bitterness, keeps you from bitterness. It will keep us from self-pity. It will keep us from a sense of entitlement and pride. If you cultivate a grateful heart, you put yourself under the influence of the Holy Spirit. You become full of the Spirit. All sounds quite practical, doesn't it? (laughs) Well, where's the spiritual bit? This is really spiritual. When you leave this room, if you spend the next week cultivating a heart of thankfulness, that that will have some seriously transformational potential in terms of your own heart, in terms of those around you, in terms of building up other Christians, in terms of impact on those you work with who don't know the Lord. If you you, um, look to promote in your own heart genuine thankfulness, that's hugely powerful. You're under the influence of someone else. It's like, wow, what is that? It's the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to end on this one, which is a beautiful this idea of singing. Listen to this quote. This is a fascinating quote from a man called Brian Chappell. He says this. He says, since in true worship we are filled with the Spirit, follow this, our God is both the audience and the voice of our praise. We are the instrument by which God becomes present in praise to himself. A concept that brings rich meaning to the psalmist's observation that God inhabits the praise of his people. The realisation that we are generating the voice of God for the praise of God in our worship makes our praise more glorious than we normally imagine and should give our hearts much hope in the realisation of the spiritual power by which he can use us to praise him as well as speak to his people. When we sing, we are, we are, we, when we sing to the Lord, that is an action of the Holy Spirit. We are the instruments. He's using our vocal cords and the rest of it and engaging with our heart. But we are praising God. But it's like this extraordinary thing whereby the Spirit of God is himself praising, generating this praise. So, God, so, so we're not just, he's not just the audience, but the voice of our praise. This is, wow. Now, now it makes sense when Paul says, listen to this. I really want, I felt quickened as I was reading this again today. Making melody to the Lord with all your heart. With all your heart. One of the things I think we struggle with in this particular church is coolness. We're so darn cool. And if that ever stops you from singing to the Lord with all your heart, you need to get uncool and get uncool quick. Seriously. If your coolness ever restricts your praise to God, it's become a sin. And you've got to deal with it. This is... I'm increasingly struck by this phrase all throughout the Bible, all your heart. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you. See, God is a searcher of hearts. He knows when your heart is fully engaged. So he's, he's not looking on the external. You can look the part externally, but he's looking to the heart. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you. It's like, yes, Lord. I, I, it's made me just in a fresh way say, Lord, I want to I be all in. I want you to have the lot because it's what I was made for. It's what we were made for. It doesn't, it, doesn't ex- it doesn't mean that suddenly you live this odd life. It means that you enter into life to the full. It means that all the glory and all the wonders that God created in creation take their proper place in your life and you can enjoy them to his glory. Why? Because you've given him your whole heart. So we're to sing and make melody with our whole hearts to him. We're to look like drunkards. 
Some should look on and think, wow, what are these guys on? Someone says that, don't, be, don't fall into shame at that moment. Just say, no, it's cool, we're not drunk. This is the Holy Spirit. Imagine that, that when God came on those guys at Pentecost and somehow they're just drunk, they could have gone, they could have fallen into shame, couldn't they? Embarrassment, shame, humiliation. I'll keep it, turn it down, guys. Da, da, da. But they actually, no, Peter stood up and said, you know what? We're not drunk. It's only 9 a.m. This is what God has promised for centuries. This is the Holy Spirit. Must never be ashamed. I mean, I don't see Arsenal fans ashamed of their crazy singing in the stadium. Why should I be ashamed? I'm singing to the living God. Why, why is that okay? Why is it normal to wave your hands in the stadium and weird in church? It's ridiculous. It's crazy. It's a deception. It's a spell. We've got to wake up to it. We've got to wake up to this. I mean, what are they singing to, for goodness sake? And don't get me wrong, I'm going to match the day as much as the next person. It's fine. But, you know, it's fine. Enjoy it. But it's not worthy of that. He's worthy of our all. And so the exhortation is sing to him with all of your heart. Don't allow yourself to get away with, oh, I'm just a bit scared. Don't allow yourself to do that. Deal with yourself. For the glory of God. For the glory of God. I'm not saying, oh, now it's behaviorism. We've all got to dance at the same time. No, no, no. Express it. But be free in the Holy Spirit is what I'm saying. It's not behaviorism. It's not. But it is about freedom. It is about honoring him with our whole heart. So if the band want to come up, what we're going to do, interestingly, Paul also says this, sing to one another. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns. Now, that's a slightly different dynamic from addressing the Lord. It also says make, make music to the Lord. We're going to do that as well. But we've adapted one of our songs so that we can sing it to one another. Ah! Worst fears realised. I don't want to be part of that church. Just, to, just doing what the Bible says, guys. Addressing, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So, can we just get the words up? Is that okay? Can we have the words up, please, Rebecca? We just want to show you what we've done. And this is a kind of song where we're singing to the Lord, but we're singing to one another. Um, keep your eyes open. Look at each other. Hey, what's so weird about that? It's not weird. It's only weird if we make it weird. So, when I think about the Lord... How he saved you. So normally it's how he saved me. How he saved you. How he raised you. How he filled you with the Holy Ghost. How he healed you to the uppermost. Can we sing that to one another? Yeah. We can. Can we do it with our whole hearts? Yeah. yeah. This is not weird, guys. It's just new. 